Welcome to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. We're here to create comfort along the entrepreneurial journey and really the life journey. Join us for inspiring, dynamic conversations that make the arduous process of venturing out into the unknown feel more doable because we believe in making the impossible possible. We hope you'll join us as we play in the infinite. So pull up a seat, grab a blanket, let's get cozy. Welcome back to the Cozy Cozy Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Wood Kuzmeyers, and I'm so excited to be here today. I'm gearing up for Thanksgiving, as most of you are, and if you follow me on Instagram and you're listening in real time, you know that I'm back in my hometown of Fishers, Indiana, spending time with my family, and it is much needed. I had literally no idea how hard it would be to build a new venture. And it's just over a year since I decided to kick off the mission, the journey, and the adventure of inventing the world's first absorbent, disposable bra made of biodegradable materials. We thought we'd be live by now, and we're still not, and that's the truth. It's not perfect yet, and we are in process with that. And what's really cool about our guest today and truly the subject of lactation and what it's like to be a lactation consultant and what she's seeing in the field is so near and dear to my heart because breastfeeding is not easy. And in fact, all of my challenges with breastfeeding are why I decided to start Cozy Cozy. Not everybody is a super leaker like I was, and not everyone has to sleep on a towel or even use the pads that you put in your bra, the current solution for breast milk leakage. Um, But I was, and I wanted to solve that problem. And so you know, I didn't struggle with milk supply until after about four months. Um, I didn't struggle with um, thrush. I didn't struggle with um, a tongue or lip tie on my baby. I didn't, I mean, I had so much of it go right and still it was so challenging. And part of it for me was just dealing with massive breasts. Like I had nothing to write home about and all of a sudden I had before baby and then I had what, you know, it was like a G size boob and my back hurt. And I used to say that it felt like tumors on my body because they're just these are appendages just on my body. They felt like these foreign objects and yet they were the sole source of food for Declan. And so lactation and understanding how to breastfeed and the challenges that go into it are so precious to me and the information is so important. So very excited to have Amanda Gilman with us here today because my hope is that you will gain some insight on either how you can best prepare for breastfeeding, how you can um, understand like what, what you might be up against and what will make you feel prepared even. Um, Amanda Gilman is the mama coach. She is a registered nurse, IBCLC. She is informing and empowering families in the Concord and Lakes region of New Hampshire, uh, which is cool that we both live in New Hampshire. Uh, And she also does virtual across um, the U.S. So she can support prenatal education, newborn and postpartum education, infant feeding support, and sleep coaching. And I'm just so excited for you guys to hear more about her. She has nine years of experience with maternal child health. Her background was in labor and delivery, postpartum support, and pediatric care. And she is super passionate about what she does. So really excited to get into this awesome interview with Amanda um, heading into Thanksgiving week. Um, And before we do, as always, want to give you guys an update on Cozy Cozy. So we currently have, if you didn't know, our innovative nipple and lip balm that we call Nip Gloss for sale on our website. Hopefully soon we'll be on Amazon. It is a challenge we're going through right now, but one that we're taking head on. And Nip Gloss is important because it is going to prevent bacteria from your hands getting onto your boobs. A lot of nipple balms have just a jar that you dunk your finger in. I hated getting the balm stuck under my nail and then having to wipe it on a burp cloth. The cap of nipple balm pops off with one hand. So moms do everything with one hand. So naturally we had to create it that way. And uh, the 
The balm itself is all natural. Uh, more than half of the ingredients are certified organic. We do not have the certification at this point, um, even though it is all natural, just because it takes a while. Um, the product has calendula flower infusion in it. It's got rosemary extract in it for anti-inflammation. Uh, and the tube is actually made out of a PLA plastic, which means it's made out of a cornstarch fiber uh, because it takes less energy to make that type of plastic. It's not real plastic, so it's non-toxic. And it also breaks down in the environment better. The uh, claim to fame or the highlight, the standout attribute that everyone's talking about is the ceramic applicator head because it glides on so smoothly and it has this cooling effect, which is really lovely if you're dealing with inflammation or cracked and bleeding nipples. And it also works as a lip balm. So thank you so much for your investment in us. This is a great baby shower gift and you can officially find Nip Gloss on our website for sale um, and get 20% off because it's holiday season with holiday 20 as the code and it is in the show notes. So check out Nip Gloss uh, today and share it with your friends. We've got new products coming up soon. I'm so excited and um, just want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening and following along and um, sharing that they're listening to the podcast. It helps us have the motivation, energy, and excitement, and also topics to continue on with this podcast. So appreciate all of you for sharing this episode with your friends, with your family, and I hope that today's guest, Amanda Gilman, will um, enlighten you and give wisdom on things you didn't even know you needed. So thank you all for all the support as always, and without further ado, we'll get into the episode with Amanda Gilman. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. So glad that we connected on Instagram and we're able to have a chat offline before this. So I know a little bit about you, but before we go into the deeper uh, version of your story, your life, your business, all of that, why don't you tell the listeners uh, who you are? I love the question, just who are you before labels, titles, or what someone could Google about you? Yeah, so I knew you were going to ask me this, and it was a hard question for me to think about because so much of who I am to the core is truly embedded in what I do. Um, I am a woman. I'm a mother who is passionate about maternal child health and improving processes and outcomes in that perinatal space. Um, I'm an introverted extrovert. I really enjoy like low key days and my alone time. Um, I'm not really someone who's hard to please. Um, I like the simple things in life. I like to say like spending time with my family and my friends. I really love like warm, sunny days, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in all reality, um, I'm just really a maternal child health advocate to the core, someone who's always been obsessed with pregnancy and birth and babies and the whole transformational process that comes along with it. Wow. Thank you so much. That might have been one of the best answers ever, like from just all the different layers, like sunny days and all of that. So thank you. Um, I think you can probably get like a nice idea of who you are in their head. And um, I'm so curious to know, like, when you say you've been obsessed with all things mother, baby, pregnancy from a young age, was it like wanting to be a mom from the time you were little? Or was it a calling to be like in the birth working, you know, perinatal space as a career? Yeah, kind of a combination of both. I always wanted to be a mom, but I have older siblings. So I had nieces and nephews. Um, My dad got remarried and my younger sister's 15 years younger than me. She was born at home. Um, So I always babysat. I was like 10 years old when I was like babysitting my nieces and nephews like 40 hours a week, which I think about that now. And I'm like, holy cow. But I just always had this passion for babies and pregnancy and birth. And um, I always knew I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. It's kind of crazy crazy, but, um, I kind of just always had the calling and went to college to be labor and delivery nurse. And, and I, I feel like I was just really lucky to always, always know. Yeah. I love when people have that because I didn't have that. And it felt like such a, a weight on my shoulders, like, especially when you're choosing college or when you're in college and then you're like, how am I going to get a job when I don't have this one thing? I later found out I'm an Enneagram seven and maybe that's why, um, I didn't have one cause we want all the options and we don't like to pick one thing, but, um, my son right now wants to be, he says he wants to be a dentist and we're really unclear. Like he was saying that before he even ever went to the dentist. So we're, we're, it'll be interesting to see if that plays out for him because, um, it's just so specific. Um, but when it, 
it came to um, going into be- becoming a labor and delivery nurse and then being there in the unit, what was it like for you to think about getting pregnant after knowing so much? Because I feel like a lot of women go from spending so much of their life not thinking about kids, trying to prevent being pregnant, to all of a sudden being pregnant and being like, what is this? What do I do? Give me all the books. And you probably had such deep insight going into your own pregnancies. Yeah, it was honestly a blessing and a curse at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We see a lot in, in the job and it's not always rainbows and butterflies. And unfortunately in the OB world, when things don't go well, usually they don't go well, like quickly. And so I did have some anxiety about a lot of things, but I also had a lot of trust in, in my able to make decisions and understand what was going on. Cause I really feel like knowledge is power. Some people prefer to like, kind of go in blind to things, but I really am a very big advocate for knowledge is power and making informed decisions. And so luckily I didn't have to, you know, worry about that. I kind of knew all the things, if that makes sense. Um, Hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think you make a really good point. And, and a huge part of my pregnancy was doing some online courses of just like, what are the options? What are the stages of birth? Like, what is labor? Like, it's just amazing how much we don't know. And um, it's and it's nothing against the hospitals because they save many lives. But um, I I wonder if if we still birthed at home if we would be more comfortable uh, with it or somehow know more, I'm not sure because obviously medical research and hospital systems have, have taught us a lot about birth and, um, and interventions again, save lives. But how did that birth, um, seeing your, um, half sibling birth at home, how did that impact you? Oh, a lot. It actually was a home birth that went wrong. Oh, wow. So Yeah. So that's a whole story. Um, before I really knew all the things. So my, um, my, my stepmother actually had a placenta accreta and, um, what's that? Had a severe, a, a, her placenta was, um, like embedded into her uterus. So it's, um, yeah, so a ve- it caused a very severe postpartum hemorrhage. So she had to be, you know, shipped to the hospital. Um, but I have always been like a huge advocate for like uninterrupted, like natural births. That's like the core of who I am. And I, I realize that's not everybody's view and that's okay. Um, but um, I, I, what you said was totally true that you need to be comfortable at, like it plays a whole role in like your hormone production and all of these things to be comfortable when you're birthing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that experience, um, I'm very grateful to have had that experience with my, um, when my sister was born. Wow. Yeah. It's something that I think is, it's not common. Like I think if you ask people like, Oh, who do you know that's given birth at home? It's like far and few compared to the hospital. Um, and it's something that's, um, definitely like kind of on my bucket list, but I also want to have like a better birth at the hospital since my first um, birth was just so traumatic. And I guess like when you think about like what motivated you to start your business, what was the initial impetus for you? Um, And was there one thing where you like, I want to be just focus on lactation or was it? Yeah. Like the whole, like, yeah, tell us more. Yeah. So it's, it's a journey. Um, I never really thought I'd be like an IBCLC specifically. I always had a passion for breastfeeding. I got my CLC pretty early on and like dove into learning about lactation. So had that passion and also had a passion, like I said, for like natural, like um, births in general. And I, I did take a doula course as I was working as a labor and delivery nurse and kind of thought about maybe adding that in, in like 2016. But I was like, I don't want to start a business. Like that's way too much work. (laughs) And I was still, I was going through infertility journey of my own, like working full time, had enough on my plate. Um, but becoming a mom is really what did it for me. It's, it really like opened my eyes to holy cow. There are so many gaps in our system and we need to do so much better to serve moms and to serve families as they transition. I was lucky enough to have had that education and to have had that like perspective, but I know not everybody has that. And to me, um, it was really more so a lot about my mindset and the shift and, um, yeah. So as hard as my experiences were, I'm so thankful that I had them because I feel like I'm just like, I used to be a little bit black and white in, in my practice and the way I viewed things. And and there's so much gray and um, yeah, I just think it made me a, a better um, nurse all around. 
Yeah. I think there's something about being, yeah, in the, in the patient or in the client seat that gives you a totally different perspective. And then also just going through the experience of becoming a mom, you think about things differently and um, definitely be more flexible, less black and white. There's a lot of gray area in, in, in motherhood and raising babies. Um, but when you think about like, what did, like, what, what did you love about being in the hospital and what was the, the biggest thing that you wanted to change? So like positive and negative about it. Um, so I loved working nights. I, I never thought I'd leave. And like, just because there's not as many people around, it's such like a family, like teamwork thing. And you like always knew somebody had your back when you work at a larger hospital. Let me just say that. Cause I've worked at different hospitals and so smaller, it's, it's not necessarily that way. Um, but you know, I did notice different gaps or I do some research and policy changes are hard, changes hard in general. I feel like for everybody in every situation. And so when you make changes, there's a lot of pushback. And so it just takes a lot of repetitive and like reminding to make positive changes. Yeah. The biggest frustration for me personally as a nurse is when, you know, and I get it as a nurse, I, I know there's so many tasks, so many check boxes, like there's a lot of things that nurses need to do and not a lot of time to do them. Um, but the biggest irritation for me was like when I'd see like babies taken away from their mom unnecessarily for like weights and these things, and they didn't get that uninterrupted skin to skin. And a lot of hospitals like have policies to not interrupt that, but um, there's still, it still happens. And that's probably my biggest frustration. Yeah. Um But it, I, I know, like I worked with so many nurses, so many providers I know that deep down to the core, they really, truly love what they do. They care about the population. It's just that they're inhibited by so many things and so many jobs. That makes sense. Well, there's a lot of freedom too in becoming an entrepreneur and starting a business and having the ability to like kind of impact people the way that you want to. So what was your, it sounds like your first, probably your first step was getting the CLC and then the IB. CLC, but what, what was kind of your first kind of foray into, into running your business? Yeah. So I got my CLC, but I didn't really think that I would be an entrepreneur ever really. I, I had my second baby and I had kind of had like little things along the way that were like planted in my mind, but I just never thought would happen. And I was working, um, part-time with the DNA doing like home visits. And like, I had lack lactation struggle specifically with my first. And then again, when I had my second, I was like, there's a huge gap here. There's not really anybody around to serve this gap, especially in my area. So I felt that I needed to do it. Like I felt like I didn't really have an option and I needed to serve that space. And I also was struggling a lot with um, my second kiddo with sleep. And so it was like, holy cow, like my first kid, I could easily implement some like sleep training practices on my own. And then my second was like, okay, well, I can't put all the puzzle pieces together. Like, where am I going wrong here? And so I was like, okay, there's multiple things that I see. Like, I need to just jump in and do it. And I came across the Mama Coach. So I share a brand with other nurses, although I own my own business. Um, I share a brand with other nurses. So it's kind of like I have coworkers and I have people to bounce things off of. So I don't feel like totally alone. So that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, it really started, I think just with my experiences as a mom. So 2018, my first was born and then I had my second in 2021 and, um, that's when I launched my practice. So it'll be two years next weekend that I've, I've been a private practice nurse. So, wow. And when you think about the gaps, like I was, I'm felt, felt, felt so lucky because because of this podcast, I was getting, and because I was pregnant and talking about pregnancy, I was finding out people were like, you should try, you know, the, this, you know, this group and you should do the boot camp with this group. And I was meeting all of these groups in, in and around Boston that were doing education on some front, whether it was like doula type education or birth prep, pregnancy prep, newborn life prep, all these things. And I had all these podcasts with these amazing people that really educated me. And one of them specifically was a friend of mine who her older sister had a company. It, it ended up selling and kind of merging or something, but they had this company called, um, it's like, of course, now I can't even remember the name of it. It doesn't matter because it doesn't exist anymore. But what they did was they helped women um, have, I think it was well nested. They had 
the ability to pair people with the birth services or postpartum needs that they would need beforehand. So it would be like, we'll schedule a postpartum doula for you. We'll schedule a lactation consultant for you. And then they would also do some of the back end insurance planning. So, or, um, kind of fighting with insurance for you because isn't it, isn't it a law that insurance has to take, has to support lactation? Yeah. So the affordable care act does talk about it. Um, but there's a lot of loop arounds and insurance. I'm not like super honed in on, um, but there's apparently gaps because they're not covering. (laughs) Oh, that's the thing. My insurance shot it down and it was like, no, 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 it should be. Cause I was, I was insured in Massachusetts when I got pregnant and then I moved to New Hampshire and they're like, no, no, no. In, in mass, like you, everything's covered. Yada, yada. I don't think it was covered, but My point is I was kind of um, tipped off to the fact that when I get home, I may want a lactation consultant to come to my house. And when I get home, I may need a postpartum doula for in some capacity. And here's a place I can call to prep. And so that company um, called a lactation consultant who served Northern Mass, who was willing to drive to where I live in Bow, New Hampshire. And she came. She was amazing. She was much older. She, I feel like she did more than lactation. Like she wanted to like weigh the baby and like, she was just so thorough and amazing. And of course I was like one day, two days postpartum. So I don't remember much, but I just remember feeling supported. And so I guess from your standpoint as being an entrepreneur, but also sharing this brand with these other people, like, do you think that like, how are moms finding you? Because I don't know if I would have known to schedule someone and who to call had I not been told by this other woman who it was her business to do this, like schedule it before you even give birth. Yeah. That's the unfortunate piece is it's really word of mouth. Currently I do said like, I, I, I'm a nurse. So I think like collaborative teamwork is important. So I share all of my like chart notes with um, providers after getting consent from families, obviously. So a lot of word of mouth of providers or people who have used me before or Google, to be honest, um, that was one of the things that I was really surprised about. I think going in blindly as a new entrepreneur thinking I'm a well-respected nurse, like people know me, they know I'm good at what I do, like, I'm going to get like, this is going to be great, but you know, healthcare is our business, like it's business models. And so, um, yeah, that's where the gap is, is that people really aren't meeting with lactation consultants before birth, which I think should be automatic thing. Like, but I I know resources are really low at hospitals. They're short staff. So there's like lots of things, but I think the biggest frustration for me is that even when hospitals or OBCs know that resources exist, they're not really like referring out. And that's my biggest frustration is like, can we just like do the right thing for families here and like set them up for success? Like, even though, like, even if like these places don't even offer it, they're like, well, maybe one day we'll offer this service or, you know, that's what's driving me crazy is that um, it's not like, and I know it's more like the system. Like I know that the people that do their job care care about like the population that they serve or they wouldn't be doing it, but the systems um, are so barbaric and old. <laughs> they need to change. There needs to be that innovation in so many er- areas of maternal child health. And I do think it's coming. Um, it's, it's just a slow, Love. like, I'm really proud of this generation of moms. Like they're, yeah. they're standing up for what they need. They're asking and demanding things that, you know, hasn't, hasn't happened in the past. Um, so I think basically it's going to be forced upon yeah. the health system. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think that it is our generation. I'm super into astrology and and the people that were born, I think it's like 87 to 93 or something have this placement that's, it's a weird astrology thing, but it's Pluto and Scorpio. And we basically are all about like uncovering the truth and standing up for what's right and changing systems and making just like massive overhaul type change. And I think about the way that millennials have led uh, spearheaded um, just like better work-life balance, better mental health. All the millennial moms are standing up, like you said, for what they need and being more um, candid or transparent about the struggles of motherhood, which is great. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's hard to get the right people in the right places. I was thinking about it and um, my and in, in where I delivered and conquered, I believe they sent one nurse like tried to help me, but then I later learned like her advice, according to the lactation consultant, that was very helpful for me. Like the advice might've been wrong. 
And then there was one lactation consultant that came into the hospital. Who are hospital lactation consultants paid for? Are they paid by the hospital? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she yeah, came in and she seemed, she seemed like helpful in the moment, um, but still not as great as the one that came to my house. I feel bad saying that, but um, it's, it, no one said to, I think she might've said, here's my card. And like, maybe she, oh no, this is what it was. She said, you can come back. My hours at the hospital are blank to blank. And the second she said that, because I knew that I already had someone teed up to come to my house and that that was even a possibility. I was like, I can't imagine four days postpartum when I, I'm, I'm not only stressed because I'm postpartum, but if I had the problem of not feeding my baby, to put him in a car and drive myself to the hospital during XYZ hours to make an appointment with a crying, hungry baby that may or may not latch too much, right? Like so crazy stressful. And so when I was thinking about sitting down with you, I'm like, gosh, like that to me seems like one of the probably hardest challenges is just getting moms to know that you probably should meet with one. Like it doesn't, it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be mandatory. So many moms do I mean, I would say almost everyone does either a gender reveal or a baby registry, but why is every mom not sitting down and having like a lactation consultant appointment? Do you know, are there stats on like what percentage of the population does, does sit down with someone? Um, I'm sure there are, but I don't think that they're tracked super great. That's true. It would have to be something that's like, okay, now we're going to be monitoring. Like, what is your percentage? It would be something that I'm sure that they could come up with, but I don't know the statistics of, um, and I'm sure they're not like tracking them specifically. Um, Maybe they are, but I don't know of it. Um, But no, I totally agree. It should be kind of like an automatic thing, but you know what else should be automatic is prenatal education. And that's not accessible to everybody either. (laughs) And so the other thing that I'm trying to like enforce is like, you know, you get these, these shorter appointments with your providers, if you're going to have a hospital birth anyway. Um, and, and you think that you're going to like have time to have these questions answered and all these things. And it's not that they don't want to answer these questions. It's like, maybe you didn't think of it at that moment or, you know, all of the other various things. And I think a lot of people don't even realize how valuable prenatal education can be to them. Um, or it's just too expensive and they can't prioritize that right now because it's just not obtainable for them. And so I get that, but yeah, that's one of my biggest frustrations. I think now with, you know, the way the system's set up and that's what I'm on fire about to hopefully like improve access to and, um, close the gaps there. What are, um, what are kind of, before I go into more lactation questions for you, um, what are some of the core things that you think people need to go through when you say prenatal education in case there's a new mom, pregnant mom, um, or someone who's thinking about conceiving listening, like what are those core pillars of prenatal education that you are like emphatic about teaching? Yeah. So I think obviously learning the basics of like what birth can look like, what things can happen, but you're not going to retain all the information necessarily, but really learning about um, how to mentally prepare for what's about to happen. That's a big thing. And um, I feel like isn't touched on upon in most um, prenatal education classes is that mental prep. And really like you can like learn and, and have that information so that you can advocate for yourself. But all in all, you've got to kind of like, I think just like becoming a mom is all of like a huge piece of it is surrendering. And, Mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily experience that at the same time as every other single mom, but it's going to be a piece of your, your becoming a mother journey in that transition. And so that mental, mental preparation to just surrender that, Sometimes things are going to go a way that you don't foresee them going and whatever turn that is, it's going to happen. And so just mentally preparing to like, let go and just let be, um, in certain areas. Um, and then also, and like preparing of how to advocate for yourself, how to ask questions, um, to your providers, you know, kind of while you're through it or whoever your support person is going to, going to be there for you. How can they help to ask the questions that they know are important to you and guide you down that? Because when you're in like the throes of actually like being in labor that actively specifically, you can't really think right or ask these questions. So, um, just learning that process of how to ask for questions. A big thing that I talk about is like, 
birth plans. But for me, I like to reword it as like a birth wish list. So you have your plan A, like if you could have your ideal birth, what would you want it to look like? How would, how would that look to you? And then kind of like reviewing, okay, what would be the next step? Like if this happened, what then would you want to happen? And kind of having like a plan A, B, C, maybe a D, but just really teaching that flexibility, that ebb and that flow. Um, and, you know, empowering you that you were built to, you were built to birth your baby, you know, those kind of things. Um, totally. It's, um, it's funny cause I did a lot of education just again, because pe- things kind of fell into my lap. Um, and it was helpful. I remember, um, during my epidural that didn't work <laughs> and I had an infection, my teeth started chattering towards like the transition period of labor, And I was like, I remember even though I was so out of it and I had been in labor for two and a half days, I thought to myself, oh, they said this can happen. And like Mm -hmm. just knowing that my teeth chattering was normal allowed me to have a little more like, okay, like, okay, like one less thing to worry about. Um, And just knowing the different interventions and, and what they are, unfortunately, I still felt like I didn't really get a lot of control, uh, or options of what to say. I did not enjoy my hospital experience at all. And I had a doula, but Mm I also think like it all happened for me and I learned, and I really am excited to give birth again someday because it's, uh, it's, I definitely am more empowered now, but again, before you've gone through it, you just don't know, you don't know what choices you're even going to be, have put in front of you. And so I like the ABC options because it also shows that you're like, okay, it could happen this way. It could happen this way. It could versus just not having any roadmap or any idea. Um, and then how do you see, like, a, like, do you feel like, um, again, we're, we're kind of speaking more to like the hospital group because I feel like most people are birthing in hospitals right now, but based on your experience in the hospital, do you feel like most women should have a doula or do you think there's certain types of people that would fare better with doulas? Yeah, no, I, I love doulas. I love the idea of them. Like nurses do have a lot of jobs and so they can't always be like specifically one-on-one doing things that doulas can do. Um, so I, I'm totally a doula advocate. I think everybody should have access to one. Yeah. It's, that's another thing is that those are, those can be expensive too, which is hard. And so I guess yeah. like, not that I, I feel like everyone should have all that they need. I actually, my doula said that she was she self-proclaimed the cheapest doula in New Hampshire. Um, but I still think her rate was like a thousand dollars, which is not cheap. Um, and you know, yeah. involves appointments before you give birth. And then obviously I joke, like we had her in the hospital for three days cause my birth was so long. Um, but if someone had to choose, like, I know this, there may not be a right answer, but investing in like, a doula, a postpartum doula, or a lactation consultant, what would you say? Mm, That's such a hard one. Um, I think, you know, doulas can give a lot of that basic support, but if you're really going through like a struggle or a challenge, having like a more experienced, um, like more niche down, um, provider that can help you navigate it is super helpful. Um, yeah. So I don't, <laughs> that's such a hard one. Cause I feel like they all have their, their values. Um, and everybody also has different views of like what they want their birth to be. Like some people don't necessarily care about how their birth's going to go, or like they really want it to just be very intimate between them and their partner. So I think it just really depends on the person and, and what they want for their birth. I do think like a lot of people under prepare for that postpartum, um, phase. Um, so yeah, such a hard one. I don't yeah. know. I feel like it's such an individual decision. I feel like I can't vote. <laughs> I I loved the um what the well nested um like the way that they it wasn't like mandated with their business and I my memory is foggy but what I liked is that they said you know call like basically work with them to schedule a a lactation consultant in your area which again where I live there were not a lot of options to be aware of your, your due date and then keep them posted so that when you go in the hospital, they're aware so that they're like your first text when the baby's born. So that by the time you get home, they're like basically there waiting for you. And I just love that so much because I also think in hindsight, it was much less about like 
the, um, you know, how doctors make rounds and nurses make rounds and everyone only has so much time because they have to do their tasks. It's like, I felt a little bit of that energy with the hospital lactation consultant. Like I was her stop. She had another place to go. And there was mm. something about this woman in my home where it was just like undivided attention. We are solving this problem. We are not stopping till we solve it. Kind of a, kind of a vibe. Um, and yeah, it felt more like the, the, and then probably just cause she had so many people to see, but the lactation consultant at the hospital was more like tip of the iceberg. Here's some things you could try. No pressure. Here's some tips, the trade tools, of the trade, like, here you go. Versus like, let's get this baby's latch. Right. You know, um, which yeah. was interesting to me, but what do you think are the most misunderstood aspects of breastfeeding? misunderstood aspects of breastfeeding. Oh man. I think obviously we know that it's like, it's supposed to be like this natural thing. We're built to do it. Um, so a lot of people, I feel like don't think they need to prepare. Like they're like, you know, this is what we're meant to do. And so, um, when challenges arise, they're like, Oh, holy cow. I wasn't really expecting, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever problem they're facing. Um, but yeah, so just really feeling like, I guess I don't really need to prepare for it. Um, but there's just so many, like, it's not really like, like I said, like it's not really black and white. There's so many different variables to every situation and it really is a dyad. So you can have a mom with this robust, robust milk supply that's doing great, but a baby that's really struggling to feed, or you can have a baby that's struggling and a mom that's struggling, or, you know, a baby that's feeding really well, but a mom's milk supply is not super great. And so I think just like a lot of people don't understand that there's a lot more that goes into it than just like, bringing the baby to the breast and a baby feeding. I yeah. see like a lot of recommendations like that are black and white, like on a lot of like mom groups. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but you don't know anything yeah. about what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> there's hard for me. I'm like, you, you don't have enough information to like say that. Really. Yeah. I remember, um, I hit 20, I hit my third trimester when I was, it was like over the holidays. So a lot of more sitting around, a lot more scrolling on my phone and I found some account. I'm forgetting the name of it now, but great resource for breastfeeding, but it was so much information, like down to like different colors of the milk to how long you can leave it in the fridge versus on the counter versus when to freeze it nighttime versus daytime. Like, I mean, down to just like different, I, I just like, remember looking at it and save, save, save. So I'm like, I'm going to need to know all of this, but you said this earlier, like there is so much information that you really, you can prepare so much, but then when you're in it, it's like, once you see how your body does and how your baby does, then you have like real questions that you're like, okay, what about this for me? And what about this for me? And like, some people don't know if they're going to use a haka or if they're going to bottle feed or pump or whatever. Um, but it is, it is really overwhelming. And I think having that resource is key because you just, again, you don't know till you're in it. Um, but what would you say are some of the top things that people should be, like thinking of, like, I'm just thinking out loud, like I didn't pump until I think eight weeks because I was feeding around the clock and using a haka to like have extra milk to fill a bottle. Um, and then someone told me later, cause I had like a massive oversupply in the beginning. Like I was just a cow, like leaking all the time. Someone said, well, don't pump at all because that will increase your supply. I'm like, I'm not pumping. And I didn't start pumping till eight weeks. And about eight to 10 weeks onward, I felt like I was in scarcity mode. Like now I'm not going to have this oversupply. So anything on the supply front or latch front that are like absolute must do's or things people should be thinking about. Yeah. It's hard just based off your description. Like generally we say don't pump for like three to six weeks as long as that's as long as everything is going well. So some people say that they, they think of it as like, okay, I'm not supposed to do this, but then they also have a baby who's not like transferring milk well. And like, that first six weeks and establishing your milk supply is really vital. So um, sometimes people don't reach out to like their babies start dipping weight, like around like that, you know, a couple month mark. And then, you know, they should have Im implemented pumping. Um, so it's again with that like black and white advice that it's like really, really hard. Um, but you were also like using a haka, which is still removing milk. So it's more passive pumping. Um, yeah. But what was your question again? Sorry, I was more focusing yeah. on what you were yeah. Any like black and white rules around like, so that was kind of helpful to hear. Like you kind of recommend don't start pumping till three to six weeks or give your your milk six weeks to regulate. Like any other just like kind of general rules that you find yourself giving to people like in almost every time you're with a client, whether it's on the latch or the mom's nutrition or um, 
milk storage. Just any of your kind of like, you're like, okay, I feel like everyone needs to know this. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up nutrition. Cause I feel like that's not a topic that's like usually talked about, but I think that's one of the things that's very surprising for a lot of moms is like that, how ravenous they are when they're breastfeeding. Oh, hungry. <laughs> At least I for me, Oreos like, every night. Holy cow. But it takes a lot of energy. You're burning a lot of energy to make milk even more so than you are like in pregnancy, like creating your baby. It takes a lot of energy to, um, to produce milk. So you need like three to 500 more calories per day, um, when you're producing milk. And in general, like that pain, especially if it's persistent, people are like, Oh, it's normal. It's normal. It's normal. No, it's not normal. There's something going on with a latch, um, that is causing pain and it should not be like painful. Your, your toes are curling. Like you, you dread feeding your baby. Like that's not a normal feeling. Um, so there's something, something not right there. Okay. So listen to that. The, um, when I started, like, this kind of pissed me off, but the hospital has signs all over Concord that says like, we encourage breastfeeding in this hospital. And we encourage moms to start breastfeeding within 24 hours of giving birth. And it's funny because when the baby came out, I kind of naturally wanted to like, it's just a weird, not like, I want to put him on the breast. Like that's just an instinct. And they're like, no, 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 You don't have to do that yet. Your colostrum is probably not in. I'm like, no, I think there's colostrum in there. They're like, no, just wait. And then like, again, I'm like, is the baby hungry? Like the baby came out, like, when does he eat? I don't know. Like, don't worry about it. Like he's good. You know, maybe he'll, we'll know when he's hungry. And at like 24 hours, I'm like, I'm literally been fumbling around trying to nurse this baby. And by 36 hours, I already felt like I had scabs or not scabs, but like raw nipples. And I just remember being like, what was that about? Like, they didn't really, they told me like not to worry about it. And then I intuitively tried and it was wrong. So anecdotal story, but the question is, is it, does every nipple have to go through the cracked raw bleeding? Is that the rite of passage or have you seen women not have to go through that? No, I've definitely seen women not have to go through that. Maybe like a little bit raw, a little bit tender, but the cracked bleeding, like mm, not to, yeah, not, not. Uh. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was awful. It was so awful. And, and then it's like when my milk came in and I really needed one, the release, I was in the most pain. Yeah, um, and then you just kind of like have to like push through and I did use a nipple shield, but what amount of, what percentage of people do you feel like use a nipple shield or like need it? Is it, is it pretty common? Cause I hadn't heard about it of course, until I was in it. It is pretty common. Um, and it's for lots and lots of different reasons. Um, usually though, if it's like needed persistently, like outside, like, like the first few days, then like there's something going on that should be investigated here, about why your baby needs, um, a nipple shield specifically. Yeah. That makes sense. But, and I don't know if this will kind of open your eyes a little bit. It, it's just so like breastfeeding in those first few days versus going home is so different. And I think that's like a lot of the difference between like the hospital IBCLCs and when you go home is because they work within those, like typically they do do like some postpartum visits, but they work typically in those first few days and like milk's not even in yet. And so there's just, there's like so much different. And, and I feel like moms have a lot of different feelings about like some people will be like, oh, the IBCLC was way too aggressive and shoved them on my breast. And so like some people are like, okay, well, I don't want them to like feel like I'm being too aggressive or like too yeah, right. you know, forward. You know what I mean? Um, but that's the hard part of like not knowing like the person, you know, yeah. I think that we need to ask, like, are you okay with, you know, just kind of being more laissez-faire or do you really want me to help you more aggressively get your baby on? Those are questions that should be um, investigated. And clearly I feel like that's maybe how you were feeling is like, you really wanted to work on getting yeah. that. And that first 24 hours is vital. Yes. Babies are very sleepy. Usually those first 24 hours, but um, within that first hour to two, if a baby's not latching, I recommend doing lots and lots of hand expression to get that colostrum out um, mm -hmm. to like get those hormones going. When you, when people do like the colostrum harvesting, like how does that work? Is it just like coming into like a cup or like to say, yeah, there's lots of ways you could do it. You could use a cup or they like put it on a spoon. Um, there's syringes. You can kind of suck it up if you're going to store it. Um, it just depends. Like antenatal hand expression does 
prove to like increase milk yield in the long term, but it's individualized too. I don't recommend that for everybody because it could just cause more anxiety for some moms, which is unnecessary because what you get in that prenatal period isn't necessarily like indicative of what you're going to have. And like, so seeing small amounts can cause a lot of people anxiety. Um, but yeah, the, the amount that you do get is so small in those first, you know, few, few days that, um, that's normal, but you can collect it with a spoon, with a cup. Um, you're just hand expressing it into the cup. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I did any of, I definitely didn't hand express, but I feel like he was kind of like borderline latching to get it because I was like trying and hence the, the raw nipples. Um, yeah, I guess what are some of the, um, like what are the main things to avoid when you want to, if you want to have a successful breastfeeding relationship? To avoid. Um, so I would say kind of be open-minded. I feel like that's one of my general recommendations. Cause I know some moms are like, I'm not even buying a bottle because this is going to work. And then I'm like, well, maybe you should just have one just in case kind of thing. So not, not being black and white is one of my don't, you know, avoid trying to be that way in general, but, um, what do you avoid? So obviously you don't, you want to make sure you're supplementing. If you have to, in the beginning supplement due to weight loss or separation or things like that. Like you want to make sure you're using appropriate volumes when you're supplementing, yeah. um, not over supplementing. Um, and that if you formula, right. When you supplement say donor milk or formula. Yeah. Yeah. You can, or your own milk. Technically that's still supplementing. If you express your that's own milk. True. That's yeah. true. I didn't even think of it that way. I guess that was one of my um, kind of challenges is it was good and bad um, because I was getting so much milk out with the Haka, I could put it into a bottle and know that he was drinking four ounces. And then yeah. I would get nervous when he was nursing without like having a supplemented bottle or just when he was just regularly nursing. I'm like, how much is he getting? I don't know how much he's getting. So I always wondered moms that exclusively breastfeed. I'm like, how are they, how do they know? Like, I don't know. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you go based off of like weight gain and voids and stools and how your baby's acting in between. And, you know, as long as all of those things are going okay, then usually there's not a problem, but there's definitely people who just really have that mindset of like, they feel better knowing a volume and, and that's okay too. If you want to, you know, pump and give your baby one bottle a day, just so that you can see it or, you know, see it like one day a week or, you know, completely pump and bottle, like, that's why I feel like individualized care is so important because, because everybody's different. Yeah, it is. It is so true. And it's, I think it's just, this is all kind of pointing back to like permission to just have your own journey with it. And whether you breastfeed three months or three weeks or three years, um, there's just such a wide range. And, um, I, I made it just a hair under 10 months and um, I wanted to make it six months. And then once I made it six months, I was like, I got to stop. But like, I couldn't really just naturally like cut it. Like it was just a gradual, slow end. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there is, I mean, I think, do they recommend a year now or do they recommend six months now? Usually six months of like exclusive breast milk. So trying to avoid like solids and those things is typical, but they recommend, for like two years, it, up to two years. And, but it, again, it's so individualized. So, you know, if you are a mom who's an entrepreneur and your baby, like babies develop differently too. Like some babies are just like vastly independent creatures at like 10 months, like walking, running, like doing these things and, and kind of lose interest on their own. And, and so, yeah, usually up like up to two years or until basically the mother baby diet is done. And, um, yeah, I think and then, it's so, yeah. so dependent. It really is. Um, and then what about like just the hormonal shifts that breastfeeding causes, like any kind of, um, advice you give to moms who are like, okay, I'm going to stop. What can I expect like hormonally or are there shifts to kind of look out for? Because I remember it's like you, you kind of get to a new homeostasis with breast milk and breast milk production and the hunger and the extra calories and, um, like, you know, they say, what is it that your, is it your estrogen's higher? So like vaginal dryness and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, like there's just so many hormonal shifts. I'd love for you to speak to that when people are thinking about quitting 
for any. Yeah. So to be honest, I haven't heard a ton of like negatives and maybe people just haven't voiced it to me, like as they've gone as far as like severe vaginal dryness, usually that's like an issue while you're kind of still breastfeeding or you're not like regular on your cycle, that kind of thing. But I feel like a lot of times it's more like that mental, like, um, just processing of being done. Like, and for some moms, that's like a relief and like, oh my gosh, we're finally done. My body's going to be mine again. Like we're working this way. Uh, some people are like, holy cow, this is my last baby. Or like, I'm really, really sad to be done. And I think it's just like, all of that is like, just, just going back to like being gentle with yourself and, you know, gentle with the process and knowing that it's okay. If you're not like, you know, set on one way of like feeling like, okay, this is the right decision. And like that occasionally you'll have you know, feeling feelings in the other direction and that it's normal. And um, yeah, hopefully that's helpful. The wild transition. <laughs> the it really is. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's all, every part of motherhood is emotional. It really, it really is. Um, when you think about um, people looking at um, just setting themselves up for success overall, anything else that you would share for moms, for their relationship with breastfeeding, whether it's long-term, anything else we haven't named? Um, I think just like really honing in on how you're feeling about it. Like every journey is different, being mindful of that, being okay that, or like kind of like coming to accept that this is your journey and however you're feeling about it, whatever decisions you make are the right ones and finding the people to support you and give you the evidence and the information so that you can make informed decisions as you are like navigating it, I think is the biggest thing. And unfortunately not everybody has that. Um, but I feel like that's the biggest thing. Like, cause I, I you know, and you were saying like things to avoid, like some people are like triple feeding for like weeks and months. And like, that is never a long-term plan that I recommend implementing for people. Like, it's just not sustainable, especially in this society. Like it'd be different if it was like hundreds of years ago when we were living in villages where we were surrounded by women and families and neighbors and people to help us in like our daily, like cooking, cleaning, all of these other tasks. But we are kind of isolated as moms in 2023. And, you know, you say triple feeding. It's like impossible to do all the things. And so just, you know, yeah, being okay with, you know, your decisions along the way. And, you know, your, your mental capacity might not be the same as somebody else's, your situation with your partner or your support systems might not be different. And just, um, yeah. So I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to do with just breastfeeding, but like the whole journey in general. Totally. totally. And when you say triple feeding, what do you mean by triple feeding? So triple feeding is basically you're feeding three times. So you're nursing and then you're pumping and then you're bottle feeding. Oh, in like, like one back to back to back, like eight to 12 times a day. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. No, I did not do that. I did a lot. The one weird thing I did was I only pumped one side at a time and like hand, like express with the pump, like massage almost. And then we do the mm-hmm. others it would take me so long, but yeah. I didn't want to put it into the, the bra because it just felt like they weren't going to stay in place the right way. I don't know, but it took a lot of time, which I don't miss doing that. Oh, like having both of them at once would be hard. Yeah. Like I'd only pump one boob at a time and then it would take double the time it could have taken. Oh, like, like you did one and then you did the other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but it just felt right. I'm like, why are you doing it that way? I'm like, I, I promise you're not the only one. Like it is kind of like fumbly and odd, but I feel like yeah. if you kind of look at it, like you're going to save so much time if you do it this way, it might, or like hindsight's 2020. But yeah. also what was, I was just thinking of, um, something else when I, it kind of went out, out of my mind real quick. So maybe we're not going to talk It'll, about it. Yeah. Interrupt me. If it comes back, the other question that I feel like is old, old wives tale, but in case there's a new mom that's listening, I remember like thinking about this too, is there's like the wives tale that you can't get pregnant while you're breastfeeding. And oh. <laughs> I feel like that is not true. Um, but would love for you to speak to that. Um, cause I feel like I've heard that it's, if you're exclusive breastfeeding and you're co-sleeping, you're a little bit less likely than, um, if it, it's like bassinet, some bottles, stuff like that. 
Yeah, I haven't seen any research or statistics on the co-sleeping piece. Um, I would be interested to to learn about that. But as far as breastfeeding, I think the general rule is if you are exclusively nursing for like up to six months, um, it's a pretty low chance. And I'd, I'd have to double check that statistics. I, I would guess maybe around 98 or I don't know. But it's definitely possible, um, just like condoms or like, you know, even yeah. 99 percent chance there's always that chance so um but I think in general like for that first six months as long as you're exclusively um nursing that's a pretty widespread practice and then after that to make sure that you're yeah you're there it's funny I got I stopped when I finally stopped the weekend I stopped I went away and I got my period like two days later it was crazy oh wow that was fast like all right new cycle new new era new chapter um it was yeah is so fast, but I'd love for you to share with everybody just a little bit more about what you're building, how they can work with you, like whether it's your prenatal courses or lactation consultancy. Um, yeah. And we also haven't said, uh, in this interview, I'll it, say it in my intro, but, uh, where you're located. Yeah. So, um, I am located in Tilton. I serve like Concord and the lakes region. So North of Concord, um, and yeah, I provide prenatal education to families. I do group classes or teach one-on-one, whether that be virtually or in home, if you're within my service area. Um, I also do like prenatal lactation and obviously postpartum lactation visits. A lot of insurances do cover this at no cost to families. Um, some some don't. So I offer like a 20% self-pay discount, and then you can seek reimbursement via a super bill on your own through your insurance. Um, but usually if your insurance is one that approves it, the visits are unlimited, which is nice. And then I also offer um, sleep consultations for families as well. Wow. The sleep thing is huge. That we did not touch on a ton. I wanted to pick your brain on lactation, but um okay. What are your, just quickly, what are your key kind of pillars or beliefs on the sleep for parents, especially if there's someone out there listening that's like really in it right now? Yeah. My key pillars are, it's only a problem if it's a problem for you, kind of like tune out the noise, like focus in on like what's going on in your home with your baby, with your family, what is working, what isn't working. And if you are wanting to make a change or are not comfortable with what's going on, that that's okay. You can, there are ways to um, navigate how to get more sleep um, and do it in ways that are comfortable for you. Every family is different. And, and, you know, that's one of my biggest things is to try to support families um, on their journey. And, and really the biggest piece I feel like, which is helpful for families in my consultations with them in regards to sleep is like really going over like the science of like how babies sleep, how that transitions, like why babies are doing the things that they're doing, how feeding plays a huge, role in that sleep piece wow. and then um then kind of like t- taking into consideration their parenting styles the baby's development and then like you know catering a plan um individualized plan for them it's funny i like barely remember i'm like did we feed him right before bed what were the windows what were it's like there's so much just in the first 10 days versus the next 3 months like about their feeding schedule and all that and you're right like it really all impacts the sleep. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have to like really, really research that again when, when my time comes again. But, um, yeah, yeah. thank you for sharing that. And you're right. Like there's some people whose babies wake up multiple times a night and if it's not a problem for them, like you don't have to sleep train your baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, yeah. How you're feeling about it. Um, and then I guess finally, how can people, um, I guess actually two final things. The first one before how people can find you is, what um, would you go back and give your um, self, like your new mom self, what advice would you give her? My new mom self, I think luckily I've been able to incorporate it the second time around more so, but just, you know, trusting your instincts and, you know, knowing that your decisions are what's best for you and just to kind of be a little bit more flexible and and ask for help when you need it and know that you are not meant to do things on your own and you don't have to, um, and you're not going to, and that that's okay. Mm, that's really good because yeah, you're going to have help and you're going to ask for it. And, but it's hard. It's hard when you first come home, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is a lot. Um, oh, totally, totally. 
Yeah. My first experience at home, like I was so stubborn when I had my first baby home. I'm like, nope, breast milk, breast milk, breast milk, breast milk. And I was that stubborn mom who triple fed for like a prolonged period. And, and that's okay. I learned a lot. I would never do it again that way, but it's all about the process. And like, as long as you're feeling respected along your process of like the way you're making decisions, I think that that's a really important piece. Mm. Um, I really try not to push families one way or the other. I say, I really don't recommend you do this long-term. It might drain you out. I see a lot of people end up, you know, stopping nursing because of this, trying to do things in the long term, and, mm. you know, just kind of giving them the opportunity to kind of step back and look at the like bigger picture, give them the information for them to process and to make informed choices on their own is, um, is really important. Um, but beautiful. It's a good, yeah. It sounds like a, you do a great job holding space for people. Like here's the information. How do you feel with this? And yeah, now you, now you can make your decision. So I hope people listening, um, yeah, are, are hopeful if they're in this area, they can, they can find you or if it's virtual. Um, so how can people find you? It's all in the show notes, but I like for people to like hear it with your voice and how you want to be found, whether that's on social LinkedIn, email, yeah. website. Absolutely. So I'm the worst. I have no idea what my website is, <laughs> but um, you can find, you can email me. My, my email is amanda.gilman at themamacoach.com. Um, or you can find me on Instagram. I try to be uh, as active there as I can. Now that my kiddos are a little bit older, I found it to be a little bit harder, but I will get more active one day when I have the time. Um, but amandagilman.themamacoach is both my um, Instagram and Facebook page as well. But I, I love um, when families email me because I can figure out really specifically what it is they're looking for, how I can help them. Um, I do do like 15 minute meet and greets to see if um, I'm the right fit for you. So you can feel free to go to my website and book that if you want. Um, And I can send the lactation link along to see if you qualify through your insurance um, as like early on in pregnancy so that you know, you know how to plan for that and contact your insurance if you're not accepted um, to figure out, you know, the plan of how to, how to go about getting reimbursed for that. Awesome. That's so amazing that you do that because it's just, we should all have access to it. Um, so thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and for being open to coming on and sharing all of this with us. We're so appreciative. Yeah, you're welcome, Garrett. Thanks for having me.